When's your restart, bud? I'm sorry. Uh, it's live. I think we it's can... live? Awesome. Yeah, Perfect. we're live. Yeah, we're live. <laughs> That's the benefit. Let me just double check that I've got the uh, desired audio settings before we get you're started. Com- here. You're coming in loud and clear on, on my end, so that, that's at least... Uh, the last good. time we did this, I think it pulled from my video. I had a separate recorder. Oh, it pulled from your webcam, right? Yeah. So yeah. we're live. You guys getting to see it all happen here. Um, and how the sausage uh, is made. But tell me, no, there are no retakes. So, uh, <laughs> all right, here we go. Great to be back <laughs> behind the mic. And this is a professional podcast, I promise. As always, we're going to thank our sponsors, Louisiana Hot Sauce. Just incredible that we've been able to have a national food sponsor uh, for, I think, eight years now, seven years. Uh, and the great people at Tarpon Cellars, a high quality uh, kind of a statement wine, a special occasion, a, a gift for a, a significant occurrence in life, whatever, but great people and fantastic wine. Tarpincellars.com is the website. Nolcast is the coupon code for 20% off. And uh, with that, bud, we got a bunch of listener questions. Going to bring you up to speed on kind of this, that, and the other in the world of uh, Florida State football. And we'll jump into this podcast. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that thing, man. First, I do want to shout out Tarpon Cellars Winery. Uh, excellent. Excellent winery. And uh, hey, notification gang out there. That's right. The live listeners say they got the notification. So that has uh, that is awesome. Really appreciate you guys tuning in and having those notifications on. Hit like on the video if you would. I do want to have a small update to an episode that we did uh, a couple, couple weeks ago. We did the Snap Count Draft review. Uh, and we forgot to mention which charity uh, that I wanted Ingram to donate to. Now, Two years ago, when I won, uh, Ingram donated to a charity in Immokalee, which uh, helps uh, victims of domestic abuse, which is a great charity. But this year, I wanted to switch it up. It's a little more personal to me. Um, so good friend of mine uh, growing up, Johnny Worka, we you know, grew up just down the road from each other. Uh, both went to Fort State together. He was a big ice hockey player. Uh, he became a combat diver uh, in, in you know, Special Forces and uh Ended up being a warrant officer, and uh, you know, sadly, he he passed away uh, last year. So, my charity tonight is the United for the Fallen. Uh, United for the Fallen is benefiting children and widows uh, of uh, of military personnel who tragically pass away you know, far too early. So, uh, if you guys want to support them, I know Ingram will be supporting them, and uh, yeah. So, I don't, I don't want to start it out on a on a somber note, but that's the update on the charity. And I was really excited to get my shirt in uh, to you know, show love for the workers. Uh, we're thinking about you guys still. Top of mind tonight, there's no real great way to transition out of that, I guess, is the uh, the Georgia opening for the offensive line coach. I've seen Alex Atkins' name floated for that. I don't really buy that that's going to happen. Um, Atkins already made really good money at FSU. We know he got a uh, he got a, a bump. They They made sure to take care of him. And he's the office coordinator uh, now, which is what Mike Norvell had assured him he, he would be. And uh, when Kenny Dillingham left, that's the role that he got. I'm under the impression that unless something weird happens, that Alex Atkins is going to remain at Florida State with Mike Norvell up until the point when Mike Norvell is no longer the coach. Right Now, hopefully that's just 40 years from now when Norvell retires. But I, I think Atkins someday will be a head coach. We know he's a really good recruiter. I think he's a bright football mind, relates to players really well. And uh, while Georgia certainly has SEC money, um, it's not like FSU is unable to pony up uh, for coaches, especially ones that it really wants to keep. 
So uh, we saw them throwing, throwing around pretty big money behind the scenes this year for some assistance. Uh, and ultimately, that didn't necessarily land them anybody. We'll talk about that more in one of our Patreon uh, listener questions. But I, look, I mean, I can't guarantee it. I guess nothing in life is guaranteed. But I don't think that, uh, I don't think Alex Atkins is going anywhere. Well, good. That is uh, good to hear that kind of pairs with with what I had heard as well. I mean, I, I certainly realized that going to Georgia and, and Georgia is kind of the it program right now, or at least one or two or three, uh, is very attractive. But obviously your desire is to do a good job where you are, develop players, carve out a name for yourself. But if your want is to be a head coach, it's a it's a tough chessboard to make sense of as to why to leave a place where your offense coordinator to go back to a position coach um, and potentially be kind of pegged in as to nothing other than a SEC offensive line coach would certainly get paid well, uh, but few and far between make a whole lot of career progression from there. So uh, I think it's a smart choice for Atkins, certainly a guy that is incredibly highly thought of by uh, by almost everybody in the program. And you know, like you said, I don't think Florida State's going to win a bidding war with Georgia, but I don't think Florida State would get embarrassed for money either. Uh, they would make a very strong play to keep him and uh, good to hear that that seems to be trending positive for Florida State fans. Yeah. And I'm not really, I mean, just because your name gets put on a hot board doesn't necessarily mean that, that you're seriously considering it. Although it's good leverage, right? I mean, certainly I think we've all been there when we, we get a nice new deal and then all of a sudden some kind of really nice offer comes along. It's one that maybe you don't really want to take, but you certainly play it into something if, if you're smart, do so. I, I certainly have been in that spot before. Uh, so, anyway, uh, yeah. Let's. Uh, do we have any other 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 new news here to get to? I, I think we have some. Uh, well, a couple things. You want to go to the sports podcast awards? Yeah, we can mention real quickly. Uh, big thanks to our listening audience uh, from the time that we mentioned this to our patreons. I think twenty four hours before we mentioned it on a live show or a, a show that was dispersed to the broader audience. Uh, we've been number one on the charts and that's awesome. Doesn't mean that we've won anything. Doesn't mean that it's done, but I think there's still about two weeks worth of voting. If you get a chance to go to sportspodcastawards.com, the Nolcast is listed and nominated as the number one college sports podcast. And um, that would be awesome if we could win that. So if you get a chance, you can use a email, you can use a secondary email. You might be able to use a third email that you're not sure First as year. to whether you're even in possession of. Uh, but yeah, we would encourage you to support us if you can. And a massive thank you from Bud and I uh, for the level of support that we've received uh, already. A couple things here. Brendan Gant listed as a linebacker on the uh, updated roster and the or on the academic achievement banner, excuse me. A, and we're also going to shoot our defensive spring questions and preview uh, tonight, and we'll release that probably on Friday uh, or maybe on Saturday morning. Just stay tuned. Might chop it up for the YouTube channel. Uh, But I'll ask you, like, does this surprise you? Do you make anything of this? Are you expecting anything to come from this move? What, what, What are you thinking here? Not to be too critical on a kid, but I, I think there was a general idea of maybe like, what can we do to get this guy out of the defensive back room, to be perfectly honest with you? I mean, I, I know that's maybe not the friendliest remark to put on a situation, but it hadn't been a great place, the defensive back room. And if you look at some of the additions that Florida State's brought on, I think it's specifically in an attempt to kind of address the culture in that room. Um, and Gant, nice tackler. I've always been very complimentary about his general kind of 
understanding of the geometry of the game. He gets himself in the right place and, to me, appears to have a pretty strong idea of pursuit angles and stuff like that. Uh, but it, it wasn't working out. And um, he was at a very disappointing season last year, whether it be PFF rating or just, uh, I think I took him in the snap draft at 385. And at the time, we both thought that was great value. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, so hopefully he lands at linebacker as a success. He's got some nice things in his game that might help him in that transition. But uh, I think this is more an attempt to try to isolate some individuals and, and try to get the best out of a broader room. I, I, I like that term. I isolate some individuals. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that continues to go. I'll save my thoughts on that, I guess, for the, for the linebacker preview. We'll, we'll see how much time we devote to that, but I'm, I'm a little surprised he's still on the roster, to be honest. Uh, not, not somebody that I'm, I'm really counting on uh, going forward. And I, I hope, uh, I hope I'm wrong about that, but I, I don't know. Maybe Randy Shannon, uh, as the DC and linebackers coach, can, can get something out of him. Adam Fuller and you know, DB guys couldn't. We'll see. Uh, but I, I think you're right, though, in that they, like, if there's a room that you still need to clean up culture wise, as far as guys showing up on time, guys being good people, guys just generally doing the right thing, it's the DB room. There's really no doubt about it in my mind. Uh, so, Maybe you, you move some of those guys around, you split them up and divide and conquer or something like that. All right, uh, something that never divides and conquers, they just conquer, is the legendary team with Chad and Shannon. 844-FSU-LOAN. It's 844-FSU-LOAN. Talked to Chad and Shannon just the other day. And uh, obviously, we're we over, over 250 uh, loans now for Nolcast listeners. Uh, are, are, we, are we at 300 yet? I think I mean, we're in a number that starts with three, to be honest with you. Okay. We had right, we're, another we're four three. closed last week, and uh, <laughs> it's just been incredible. I mean, I, I know that's a redundant observation, something that I've been saying for about a year and a half now, but it's true. I mean, it was uh, didn't start off great. There was a period of time, and I think we've acknowledged this, that Chad and Shannon weren't sure they were going to renew with us. And, man, a message takes a second to hit and uh, takes a second to, to take, uh, to you know, but – when it took, it took, and the response has been incredible. So, uh, yeah, those guys are great. You've worked with them twice, have a level of personal experience that a lot of people can't uh, reference when talking about a, a you know sponsor, and it's been nothing but a match made in heaven. Absolutely, guys. 844-FSU-LOAN is the number to call. Tell them we sent you. Uh, let's go ahead and get on to a, a bit of an NIL conversation. And if we feel rushed tonight, we're not really – I don't know. Maybe maybe, it's, maybe it feels rushed. To me, it feels rushed. Uh, but we do have nine listener questions to get to, and this is kind of more of a mailbag episode. Uh, and we're also shooting the defense coordinator, uh, or not defense coordinator, excuse me, de- defensive preview for spring uh, tonight as well. We have a lot of this in the listener questions. Do you want to punt this to listener questions? I'll take Probably. Tim's Tim's listener question. Just drop it in here, and yeah, then let's let's, can, let's take so. Tim. Tim, you're leading off tonight. Tim says, how do you both feel regarding the big picture when it comes to the money in NIL? I feel that the new pendulum has swung from chocolate fountains and waterfalls straight up dollars for athletes. I know you both committed in the past many times about being all in. Uh, And while I surely understand the meaning, aren't we really past facilities and coaches being the greatest draw and flat out dollars promise being the way uh, to rocket you up the charts to get blue chippers? So. Uh, yeah, interesting question, Tim. And like we said, NIL is always a you know, popular topic of conversation right now, and particularly with this fan base. So thought we would use it as a uh, just a nice little tool to drift into it here. 
So I think there's some skepticism or some pessimism, and I myself have it and have voiced it. And I also think there's some optimism about what Florida State's doing. Uh, I have seen um, on the internet over the past month or so some talk about you know, Florida State's NIL deal or potential deal with Travis Hunter. I know that's a sore subject to bring up, but let's talk about it. Florida State was had a, had a significant amount of stuff lined up for Hunter. I can say that with a, a big degree of confidence, one of which, and I don't think, uh, but I'm betraying confidence to, to talk about this. One of them was an energy drink that you can find in your local gas station. I mean, they were, they were going to have some things lined up for him that you can't, unfortunately, just transition to Julian Armella or whatever other member of the staff, right? It's kind of got to be a super dynamic number one uh, player in the class, somebody that's not just a high four or five star. Did they have as much as, you know, maybe some of these rumors about what Jackson State and Barstool and stuff were able to put together? No. Did they you try did to see do Barstool's it? coming out with their Dion, their, their new six episode Dion documentary, right? Of course they are. Of course. I mean, it was the greatest content by we the predicted this, by the way. could have ever made. We predicted it on We did not predict day. Travis Hunter to Jackson, Jackson State. I want to be clear no. on that. No, we, we, did but we say, predicted it was a content buy. Absolutely. Yes. And a brilliant one at that. I fully believe that FSU NIL would have made Travis Hunter uh, like one of the first million-dollar non-quarterback players. I don't know if that was going to be all in year one, but I think there are a few kids in the last cycle who got a million dollars per year who were not quarterbacks, but not many. Like, like we're still not dealing with that where all of your five, like I guarantee you all the five stars aren't averaging a million bucks a year. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think FSU's package uh, that they would have given Travis Hunter had he, you know, gotten on campus, obviously it's not an inducement, Ingram. Never. Not, not, not Never allowed to be, to be con- used as confused as such. I, I think it would have been very competitive. Uh, I do not know that they had everything lined up last year on signing day down the board, meaning like on all the guys. Clearly, I think they could have uh, done a much better job with NIL and Tyree West specifically, if you want to call out a certain guy, and probably the Saint. With Travis Hunter, I do think they had their ducks in a row there. Uh, and you know that just didn't work out. Uh, so... I don't sorry, think they tried to go to Aldi and buy Travis Hunter or whatever. You know, I mean, they yeah, they, they, were they realized you weren't going to get Travis Hunter for one hundred and thirty thousand dollars or something like that, which is what I've seen kind of thrown around. So, um, like for one deal, I think they had that. I think I think so for one deal. If people but are not, assuming that one deal was the entirety of it, I think they're crazy. Right. So um, um, now to the rest of this question, I think it's interesting, and I, I really would encourage you guys to go. And I'm not trying to just pimp cover three here. But I thought today's cover three was one of the best episodes we've ever done. And if you want to skip over the playoff expansion talk and what it means for each conference, you can just go to like the 30 minute mark where we start talking about the future of player compensation and whatnot. And, you know, I kind of went on a little diatribe about this and I'll give you a little mini version here. But Tim's question is like, hey, I I think the pendulum has swung from chocolate fountains and waterfalls to straight up dollars for athletes. And he's right. Okay. Um, I was talking to Danny Cannell, who, all of issue fans watching and listening to probably I don't know, know who that is. And he's like, look, man, guys still sign in Cincinnati. They don't have an indoor facility. Guys still sign with Pittsburgh. Their facilities suck. You don't actually need an indoor practice facility and a football-only facility and all this stuff to compete. All right? Now, you do if everybody else kind of has it and the entity 
of college football is trying to act as a nonprofit as they are, which basically requires you to have this great spend down and show that you don't actually turn a profit. And so how do you do that? Well, you spend a boatload of money on coaching salaries and you spend a ton of money on buildings because where else are you going to put it if your entire premise is not paying the players? Once you start paying the players, stuff like Clemson having a slide and all that crap, that won't matter. Now, if the difference in facilities is just enormous, you know, where you you have a little shack and, and somebody else has a mansion, that, that could be a deciding factor because NIL is not the only thing that matters in recruiting. But how did Tampa Bay Rays sign free agents? Their facilities suck, right? I mean, well, no state tax helps and uh, they have money. Now, not a lot of it, but when they want to you know, sign somebody, they usually get the guy because they give him the best offer. That's just how capitalism works. That's American. Whole colluding you know, to not pay the players has resulted in these Taj Mahal buildings, and as Tim puts it, you know, chocolate fountains and waterfalls, or chocolate waterfalls maybe, uh, to show that you're a nonprofit when you're really not anymore. You're only a nonprofit because you dump all this money into infrastructure and and crazy coaching salaries, you know. But Belichick makes 15 million, and Mahomes makes Mahomes makes 45. Basically, no sport in the country that brings in serious money has head coaches and assistants making you know anywhere close to what the better players on a team make. Um, and I think eventually we will probably get to that sort of equilibrium. Or if not, failing that, we will probably stop trying to spend so much money on these buildings. Now, that is an interesting situation for FSU because they are trying to get the football-only facility finished, right? And I don't think that's necessarily a bad endeavor. It's something that building-wise you would really like to have uh, in Tallahassee and obviously with the, the geography of the campus. Um, but long-term, that might be the big, the, 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 like, like the last building they build. Mm-hmm. As yeah. far as, like you'll do upgrades and stuff, but realistically... I'm in complete agreement. That that may be Florida State's last piece of the arms race for the next decade. Was this said slightly in tongue-in-cheek? Probably. Uh, one of Florida State's biggest boosters I talked to the night of signing day said, why are we even building this thing? And it's obvious that Travis Hunter doesn't care what type of it's building a fair he, question. What type of building his ankles get taped in, right? I mean, because he's going to be doing it at a cafeteria at Jackson State. Um, I think for a period of time, the paradigm was that you poured all this money into buildings and you thought you were woefully falling behind if you didn't. And I think much more of that will be going directly towards players and offensive tackles and defensive ends, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, could that be beneficial for Florida State? Yeah, it could be, but you know, you're saying you're going to run into the same challenges regardless of where these dollars are being funneled. But we're certainly in agreement that I think the FOF will be the last piece of the arms race that you see in Tallahassee for the foreseeable future. I, I agree with that. Uh, where do you want to take this now? We already did Tim's question. You want to go to, uh, what do you want to do? You want to go to Sam? You want to go to, to Grant? Where, where are you feeling? Um, yeah, we did make it a little choppy by going and grabbing Tim's question. Let's talk real quickly, bud, about the the general importance of the 22 season and particularly the LSU game. And then we'll devote it strictly yeah. to listener questions on the way up. Um, you know, this is not a, a podcast that's built on hyperbole or shock jock or anything else. Um, but I find myself 
having a hard time thinking that this season is anything other than what the deciding factor of Mike Norvell's tenure will be. And I'm not saying the LSU game is going to decide it. It's not. Uh, but I do think it has the ability to, is it going to erase what happened in December last year on early signing day? No. Does it have a chance to write a lot of the wrongs kind of in people's ideas, the perception of the program, where the program's trending, et cetera? Uh, yeah, it does. Is Mike on the hot seat as far as the idea of getting fired? No. Um, does this season probably dictate whether or not he's a success and whether or not he sees year five? I think absolutely. Um, so it's a wildly important year. I don't, I don't, you know, every year is important. We only, we talk 365 days a year for what, maybe 13 or 14 Saturdays. You know, I mean, all these games mean a ton. Uh, that's the beauty of college football, but this season, incredibly, incredibly important for Florida state for Mike Norvell. And I feel from a broader perspective, a little bit, the trajectory of the program in general. I I don't disagree with you there. Um, I thought it was interesting what you said, right? You you said, you know, couldn't erase the, the, the issues of, of December. And I think it's, it's sort of a bifurcated answer in the minds of fans. Yes, it absolutely can erase it. Fans are very much what have you done for me lately. They're you know, fickle and, and fan is short for fanatic and, and don't ever forget it. So yes, like you come out, you, you beat LSU, you start hot. They will absolutely forget what happened in December. Now, where it cannot erase it, regardless of result, is on the roster. Where you'll feel it for the next three years is in the talent level of this team because you did not go out and get enough difference makers to get where you need to go most likely in time that you, you know, as a coach, need to show it. Unless they pull some kind of absolute miracle this year on the recruiting trail, which is possible. Miracles happen every day. So I don't see miracles taking place so far. I mean, you know, I I think you got a chance to sign some good kids. I'm not going to pee all over everybody's Cheerios, but, you know, you're not five stars that even six months ago had you listed. Now don't have you listed in their top eight and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, you're going to have to hit with the kids that you can get in on, and there's some nice... Really solid four-star prospects. Love the offensive line prospect that you talked about a month ago uh, on here. And uh, oh, Rod Kearney? The, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, That'd I, be I an incredible ad. Incredible ad for Florida State. That's a four-star prospect. If that would be a, yeah, it'd be a five-star get for Florida State if you could get. Um, so I'm not saying that you're not going to sign any really good kids. But as far as you know, super elite talent, it's going to be real hard for you to get in the in the high school avenue. And in that you know, respect, you're certainly right that you could beat, you know, LSU 38 to three, and it's not going to change the talent that you have, or it's not going to give you Jones Jr. or any of the other pieces that you missed out on December, but uh, would go a long way in kind of getting the collective fan base's headspace right. Yeah, where, where that kills you ultimately is 23 and 24. You know, like you're not going to lose a whole lot of games this fall or win a whole lot of games this fall due to what happened in December. Uh, it's, it's you know, two years and three years from now that it really, really kind of kills you. Um all right, uh, let's go ahead and take uh, we'll take Sam's question here. Uh, I was wondering what books Bud has on his shelf in the background with the new layout, and also if either of you had any book recommendations for the offseason. I read The 50-Year Seduction by uh, Keith uh, Dunavant last summer, and even though the book was published in 2005, I still found it very relevant to what is going on today with NCAA, conference realignment, etc. I also plan on reading The Club by Joshua Robinson and Jonathan Clegg, uh, since it seemed everyone covered college ball last year. Talk about how analogous it is to the direction college ball is headed. I would agree with that one. 
Uh, I'm curious, Peter, you had a chance to read it or had any thoughts about it. So uh, quickly here, a couple of books. So I have uh, Hunter S. Thompson back there. I I do have some Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, Hunter S. Thompson. I have The System by Armin Katayan, which is really, really good. Uh, I I, I think it's it's still relevant because it shows all these kind of, uh, you know, backroom deals are going on a lot longer ago than you all think. Um, Fourth Down in Dunbar is a good book uh, about, uh, you know, using football to get out of tough situations. Uh, Running for My Life, The Work Done Story. And uh, Salt, which is kind of cool. How how Element, uh, you know, Did I give you that? Uh, No, but it's, it's a good read. All right. Uh, I and had a couple copies of that in the first place where I was living where you came up a couple times. I thought it might, oh, nice. might have pawned uh, one off on you. That's a great, I thoroughly enjoyed reading that. The one book I would really recommend you guys read, though, is called The Sinful Seven. It's a quick read, take you, you know, a day or two, depending on how fast you read, how much time you got. Uh, it's an ebook. So just, you know, go to Google The Sinful Seven. Uh, and it is a sci fi Western about the history of college football. It's okay. Pretty cool. Uh, it's it's Jason Kirk uh, and Spencer Hall and and Holly and Brian and and those but it's really good. And they they kind of go explain like how exactly they all colluded to basically like say that oh the the reason college football is great is because we don't pay the players. And it's like agreed. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is this is the for the true period like post you know post war. Uh, but it, it's it's a really good book. It, it it lays out the history of the sport pretty well um what do you got oh no i was checking out some of the we got some wonderful questions coming in in the youtube oh, this chat is good, what, what is the up, best cake te- uh, like cake tasting cake flavor, flavor. You uh i mean i you know i liked them all and ultimately defer to whatever christina liked but uh Smart man, I, I like uh i like carrot cake actually i know that's a real hit or miss for some people i'll probably do that as a as a groomsman cake, might even see the podcast of uh, the logo of our podcast on it, bud. Who knows? Nice, but uh, yeah, cake tasting was nice, and uh, hated to miss a podcast, but uh, schedules just didn't really line up last week. And uh, this is not, you know, shameless promotion or anything else, but thoroughly enjoyed the the podcast that you did, and would encourage anybody that didn't listen to it uh, to go back and and give it a give it a good listen. Had a couple friends of mine text me. I think Bud was even even mildly optimistic in that, so. Um, if that's the version of Bud Elliott that you want to consume, I would encourage you to go back a week, find that one and give it a listen. I like, uh, uh, like lemon coconut cake, mm-hmm. but like you, I let Maggie pick, uh, what flavor cake we had for our wedding. Yeah. No. I won't tell her this, but I actually don't remember what she picked, yeah. but you know, um, I'd love to tell you too. I don't remember. I had a lot of drinks and really loved that seafood bar. Uh, you guys did. That's what, that was that's what stood out to me. Absolutely. That was solid. Um, all right, let's take uh, Grant's question here. Do you feel Norvell and staff have raised the talent floor to this point uh, despite the misses of the recruiting cycle? Yeah, good question, Grant. Um, overall level of talent, yeah, I do think it's it has risen. Now, you know, has it risen enough to be successful next year? And it's kind of the conversation we were just having. We'll find out. I'm really worried about 2023. I've talked about it. Uh, incredible amount of depletion of the defense side of the ball in particular. But, you know, maybe you continue to strike lightning in the portal and you're able to go grab three or four or five kids that can immediately start and work in the locker room and everything else. Um, 
I do think that the staff has done a very good job in the portal. Now, I'm skeptical as to how much of a skill set that that's repeatable and if you're going to continue to have the same level of success that you've had, but they've done a really good job of it and they've done a good job this year and they you know probably have two or three more spots uh, left to fill. There's individual things, and I certainly question some of the wide receivers, blah, blah, blah. But on the whole, I think they've shown a, a pretty decent prolificity uh, when it comes to dealing with the portal, getting kids in that fit both talent and scheme. And uh, I tip my hat to them on that. They've done a good job. I, I think that's fair. You know, um, I think they have absolutely raised the talent floor. Now, part of it is because they, they've got three years, not, you know, a year and three quarter like the last guy did. Now, not a whole lot of evidence that the last guy was raising the, the talent floor, uh, you know, quite as much. Uh, I think Norvell and them have done a generally a pretty good job of of scouting players. Now, they all have misses, right? I mean, Kobe Gross was apparently a Norvell guy, from what I was told, and, and that seems to be a miss. Like they, everybody on the staff has had some misses, but uh, I don't think that their uh, their bust rate, at least not the bust that I would attribute to like an evaluation standpoint are unacceptably high. Uh, they had a initial class, which was a you know, early signing period class. And that's, that's pretty tough uh, to deal with. Right. Um, and then you had your next class, which was a COVID class. Now, everybody who was affected by COVID, that's not me trying to make excuses, but obviously if you were a new staff, uh, it affected you more than it did some other staffs. Because again, you hadn't had a chance to get out there and meet these guys, and we're hoping to be able to do so. So that is uh, that's that's problematic there. Um, I think that they have done a good job of raising the talent floor. Where I think they have done a poor job is raising the ceiling of potential. Right? I don't see a path for them to become an elite level team anytime soon with the way that they have recruited so far, and most of that I would attribute to. The fact that they had to cash in on the 2022 recruiting class and failed to do so. To me, it's as simple as that. But they can get a lot better floor-wise. There's, there's no doubt about it, you know? Um, yeah, only one direction, really, that the the talent level could have gone in. Um, I think they've done a good job. So I'm pretty pretty positive when it comes to Mike as far as like a game day coach and he's a he's a good recruiter not great but good recruiter um really critical of some of the decisions that he's made regarding his own personnel and I think that's had a has played out on signing day and has you know played a decent role in some of the misses that we've kind of talked about and alluded to over the last 10 or 15 minutes and that that is where I'm particularly critical of him and if Mike Norvell is not the coach in 25 or whatever else I think a large part of that will be actually some of the decisions that he made regarding his recruiting personnel, his on-field staff, et cetera. Yeah. That, that is where, uh, you know, the most of the question marks surrounding the Mike Norvell air from me uh, are tied to. And that's not second guessing. That, that was first guessing. Go, go back and check the tape. Like, I, don't, I don't like this hire. So um, let's, take, uh, let's take Chuck's question. Uh, I, I think it's, it's interesting. I think there's healthy pessimism, or at least a show-me attitude, throughout the fan base right now. Uh, but as Bud addressed in his last mini-pod, outside assessment is much more bullish. Had we pulled out wins against Clemson—I always love it when people do this— but had we pulled out wins against Clemson, Notre Dame, and UF, would you feel any different about 2022? Probably not, right? But for those who see the silver lining, I see the ceiling in 22 is higher 
that a lot of folks are willing to buy into. Is there anything that could happen in the next six months that would shift your views on 2022 by more than a game or two? The purpose of this question, are we going to are we going to like eliminate things like opposing quarterbacks getting hurt? We probably should. Yeah. Okay. Because like that would shift my opinion quite a bit. Like if for some reason Sam Hartman went down or, you know, obviously like I'm not being a jerk. I'm not trying to wish injury on opposing quarterbacks, but like who's on the field matters a whole heck of a lot. You Roster see that structure certainly matters. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, sure. Like, I mean, I think when we did our, our wins, we thought, we thought it would come out at like six and a half. Uh, there are very few games in which you're going to be a big dog. There are also few games in which you're going to be a big favorite. And the, the potential variance for you with that many coin flip games is, uh, is, is huge. I mean, shoot, like anywhere from, what, four to nine wins. That sounds crazy, by the way. Like, if I'm like, yeah, I think between four and eight, nine and three is reasonable. Uh, but if you think about it, that's within two and a half wins of what I think your Vegas number will either be or be close to being. When you have this many coin flip games, that is a, that's a reasonable range. Like if you told me to go 10 and two, I'm like, ah, I think you're, you're, I don't know if CBS drug test or not, but I'll, I'll, I'll have some of that. Right. And if you tell me three and nine, I think you're probably just a hater. You know, I have a hard time seeing them only win like three games. But if you're anywhere else in that camp, like, all right, you know, okay. Like, I don't think four or nine are, are super likely. Five or eight, six or seven. Okay. Uh, things that would make me be really, really uh, higher than I am current. One of the young defensive tackles stepping up that would allow you to play Dennis Briggs more on the outside. Uh, and not just because you have to at necessity, but because you're able to use that as more of a, um, you know, a, a luxury. Uh, Jordan Travis taking another step as a passer. Deuce Span or one of Pittman or Wilson hitting. Like I'm kind of counting that Wright is going to be a hit. I think he's a bit of a proven commodity. The rest of the three are very much not proven in any way. Uh, and I'm, you know, may, maybe one of them will be good. Maybe all of them will be good. Maybe none of them will be good. So receiver, D tackle that such as it allows you to play Briggs on the outside. Travis stepping up as a passer, I guess. Landing a, a portal tackle, which I feel is unlikely. Uh, I was polling some guys who were on other staffs. and like, what, what do you guys still need after spring? And these are schools, in many cases, that are, in my opinion, in better positions than Florida State is right now. And uh, they're like offensive tackle. So I'm telling you, don't expect to get a high-quality offensive tackle in the portal to come to FSU post-spring, given that, like, I think Bama wants one, and I bet you Georgia would take one, you know, and Clemson, and like all, all those other schools, I think would would love to have a tackle post spring. So you may need to kind of uh, adjust expectations there, but certainly if you could get one, that would help. Most certainly would. Uh, we'll move to Austin's question. Before we do, though, we'll thank our friends at Congruity. Congruity has had a, um, I feel like this has really caught on over the last month or so. A lot of great leads, uh, some new partners that we're excited to talk about that have decided to team with Matt Lewis uh, and the good people at Congruity. Uh, as we are fond of saying, Congruity has been nothing but a great addition for our small, small little business here. Um, and we think that it would be have a very similar impact for you. So whether it's payroll, HR, uh, whatever it may be, give Matt Lewis a call, spend 10 minutes, five of which can be 
talking about Florida State recruiting, and the other five can be to see if your business is a good fit uh, with congruity and if they can help you uh, function at a, a more optimal manner. So uh, congruityhr.com is the website. Uh, you can email Matt Knowles at congruityhr.com or if you want to DM me uh, or reach out as a uh, kind of a point of introduction, uh, it has been a common method or route of getting people in touch with Matt and I'd be happy to do so. So a big thank you to Matt and his team for the support that they've given the Nolcast. All right, uh, let's go ahead and take Austin's question. Uh, overall, what do you think about the coaching staff hires that Florida and Miami have made this offseason? How do they compare to FSU's? Um, I, I, I think both of them have made a solid hires, have done a, a good job. I have not necessarily blown away by Miami's in a manner that some have, but for me, uh, I did like their DB hire. That was impressive. Um, but for me, the <sighs> Miami is going to be a, a measurement and consistent for me, a consistency for me. Like, or how much of this shift in attitude is there uh, eight months from now? How much of it's there 18 months from now? I'm a little skeptical as to that. But um, hey, look, Miami has obviously pivoted and has made football a priority and has put the money behind it to do so. So good for them for doing that. I tip my hat to them. We'll have to see how consistent that is, how long that level of commitment is there. Um, it is a pro sports city, and it's, it's not even really a sports city. It's more just kind of a event city and a college football team that's not on the top of the college football world uh, that you got to dra- travel 40 minutes to go see play uh, is going to be tough, in my opinion, to really captivate that city in the manner that it did 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, but they've certainly done a good job and, you know, done a great job in adding an athletic director and then from there a head coach and the staff that he's built subsequently. I think Miami did a better job this offseason than Florida State did. You know, at, at FSU gave gave some big-time raises in the back offices to guys who really don't think did very much last year. Uh, it failed to get a new receivers coach. Uh, it promoted Randy Shannon to co-defense coordinator. I've already stated that I didn't think that was the right move. Uh, on the positive side, I like the hire that they made at GM and Derek. Uh, and I think that keeping Alex Atkins and promoting him to OC is a good move. Uh, but overall, like, I, I'm not going to sit here and, and just lie, right? I don't think they did a better job than Miami. Florida, it's, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I like the Corey Raymond hire, uh, I think, at, at defensive back. Um, a little surprised that, that LSU didn't retain him. Makes me kind of wonder, like what what they know, you know, uh, almost like when um, I'm prepping for fantasy baseball, right? So, like, why did the White Sox not, you know, not not give Rodon a qualifying offer? Why why did the Dodgers not even give Kershaw a qualifying offer? Like, do they know something, or did Florida just give him a better, you know, a better uh, better offer? I do think that the number of staff that Florida has uh, is uh, is pretty impressive. Now you do have to coordinate all those people. You got to make sure they're good. Like just because you have a boatload of polos does not mean that they're all good. Uh, but if you do it right, it does give you a bit of an advantage to really staff up, which you know kind of plays into Chad's question here. Like what, what if any? Uh, is, of course, you know, Chad, our sponsor. So get an on-screen question, from Chad. You know what if any is the long-term path to FSU becoming a national powerhouse again? Um, well. 
you, you need to recruit elite talent. I think you can make incremental progress on the field. Uh, I'm uh, not really convinced how much winning seven or eight games in the regular season, which again, bowl games don't count for recruiting, at least not in the current cycle because everybody signs early and bowl games happen <laughs> after the early signing period. Um, you can make incremental improvements in theory uh, that would lead you to you know getting better quality recruits. You weaponize NIL, which I think they're attempting to do, uh, and that allows you to level up some, hey, stay home and get paid is, is a fairly good pitch. Uh, ultimately, though, uh, it's finding a way to get the ACC contract renegotiated. In, in the long term, if that doesn't happen, all the ACC teams are screwed, including Clemson with their fundraising. You know, like that's just, it's just not feasible if that doesn't get changed at some point. I mean, it runs through 2036. At a certain point, I mean, the SEC tripling your money uh, is is going to be very difficult to compete against uh, in in your own region. And the Big Big Ten is likely to get a billion, according to some reports uh, that I saw earlier this week. So uh, you need to you need to find ways to recruit elite players again. And uh, we'll see if this staff can do it. You know, I was talking to a scout earlier this week. And he's like, have you ever seen like a, a worse recruiting staff at FSU? I was like, well, I mean, Willie's staff had a bunch of whiffs at the end there uh, on guys that they should have pulled off. And that staff with like Bill Miller on it and, and those dudes at the end of Jimbo's tenure was was pretty weak. So I said, yeah, I, I guess. But you know, they the moves they made in the offseason are not uh, – for the most part, to me, are not very encouraging. <laughs> I think a lot of this lies in the conference that you're in. You you have to have um, someone make a move and cannibalize the ACC. And, you know, I know that there's contracts involved and I'm not dismissing those. Um, but in 2021, you saw the SEC approach uh, Oklahoma and Texas for schools that won't be available, what, either 25 or 26. Um, so, could five or six years from now you see some play start to be made on ACC schools? I think so. Uh, and I think when one leaves, they all will leave. I, I'm not trying to relive 10 years ago, but Florida State was pretty close to leaving conferences. Uh, and there was a very large, powerful uh, section that wanted to. And ultimately, we're kind of outflanked by the president. And rightfully so. The president should be making decisions like conf- on conference realignment. Um, but there's, you know, a lot of the same issues that were present a decade ago still are. And, uh, you know, absent, whether it be, you know, Sarah Blakely or somebody who sells their internet security system for $500 billion to, uh, you know, Yahoo in two years or something like that, uh, absent some, you know, giant checkbook in the sky, uh, Florida State's going to have to get out of this conference and be on somewhat of a equal footing, at least from a um, annual distribution standpoint to be competitive with the other schools that it competes against. Like Michigan State, right? Yeah. Um, you know, but Michigan State got a new booster. The guy's a multi-billionaire. He started mm-hmm. a mortgage company. So, Chad, to your, to yeah. your question. So, it's all on you, Chad. I need so you to level up your mortgage game, yeah. right? Like, the, 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 guy, the guy's got like like $20 billion and... He is basically funding a good chunk of that mail tech contract there for the Spartans. So uh, that is a really, like, if that happens, then they can stay in the ACC. And maybe the ACC is even an advantage in, in that standpoint. Absolutely. Uh, they, don't, yeah. they don't necessarily have to leave the ACC. They just have to find a way to get a different amount of money for the ACC, whether, whether that is 
Notre Dame or um, if money wasn't an issue, the ACC is the best place you could ever be. And it would really oh, yeah. be a, a, a great place to operate from. But like you, you said, the playoffs, you got your stuff together. Yeah, you've got a nice little geographical footprint to recruit from. But if, you, if you're getting tripled every year, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters, uh, ultimately. So, um, yeah, that's what's going to have to happen, in my opinion. At uh, least we're consistent. State. Could Florida State have a two-year run where they're really good? Yeah. Uh, could they have something with a little bit more of a foundation built under it? Uh, Chad, get to selling, and we're happy to help you try to do that. And when uh, <laughs> when your name's on the field, you know, maybe you can put our little initials next to it in very small lettering or something like that. So They'll, they'll, have, they'll have a little, little circle with CR on the back of the helmet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or at, at the patches? Yeah, I've... Put it, put it where their wallet would be. Absolutely. Uh, put a dollar sign, dollar sign from Chad. Uh, made, made the, like Jordan Travis makes the legendary decision of the game to, to, to go to his third read. <laughs> oh, man. I, I like it. And then all of a sudden, they, like, that offense is working with great congruity there. And yes, I agree. Exactly. That's what I see. I think six, seven, and eight here questions are all kind of intertwined. Um, should we read them all and then have a broad discussion? Or do you want to like, Take them uh, individually. Honestly, I, I feel like you were answering Brad's question as you were answering <clears throat> your previous yeah. question. So Brad's question was about uh, Dugan's being retained, Randy Shannon promoted. We just talked about that. Um, Bobby, I think that people don't think that Norvell is long for issue as far as other coaches outside the program. Yeah. That's well, my thought on how on how their, their hiring thing went. Well, look, I think you tried to hire Patrick Suttis. Temporary mood until I asked you for a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They may be right. They may be wrong. They may be. You tried to hire Patrick Suttis, in my opinion, six weeks ago. He took the UNC job. Okay? That's a decent barometer. I'm not telling you one guy's decision, but that's a decent barometer as to an individual's idea as to where your football program is versus another one. Bobby asked, what role does Taggart's contract play in Norvell's ability to hire assistants? Look, we've been real consistent about this, Bobby. I'm not knocking your question. It's a good one. But Florida State's weakness has never been paying assistance. They've been fairly competitive. Uh, And, you know, that's just not there's a little bit of a narrative there that Florida State's trying to be cheap. You know, that's that hasn't been the case. Um, And, yeah, the assistant pool is at five point two five million somewhere in that area. Uh, But, you know, where I really think your question is is accurate is. You know, Florida State made the deep financial commitment to, to fire Willie. They, I mean, that was their real step towards trying to be uh, competitive and and make a really painful decision and know that that was going to cost them a hell of a lot of money that they didn't necessarily immediately have on hand. So that is something that's still, you know, trickling its way through the, uh, the Florida State, you know, economic ecosystem uh, when it comes to athletic support. I can absolutely guarantee you that. They did what Auburn only threatened to do. Yeah, 100%. Great Auburn way of putting it. Sh- Auburn should have fired Brian Harson. Great Letting way of him coach another it. year is going to set them another year back because it's not going to work. Right? Like it's clear the guy can't recruit. It's just, it's not, it was not a good hire in the first place. It was not a supported hire. And, you know, they, they realized it in year one, but they weren't, they, they didn't, they were not willing to do it and pull the trigger. You know, um, FSU did pull the trigger on a guy they thought was not going to work out. Because there's things they saw behind the scenes, more so than just the win-loss record. Uh, I firmly believe that Norvell got more money to go out and get assistance this offseason. There's no question. There's I don't no think question. there's any, like, like, 
Nobody I trust tells me anything but that. It is concerning, though, that you didn't go out and get them. And I believe that is a reflection of the perception of the program by others in the industry. We talked about this two or three weeks ago, that as a coach, you were going to have to sell the idea that, look, I'm not a, I'm not a lame duck coach because I'm sitting here trying to make you one of the highest paid people in your profession. Right. Uh, that wouldn't happen. And I don't think he is a lame duck coach. He's, yeah. I did a whole video on why he's not on the hot seat. You did. And I would, you can, you can quick YouTube search to pull that up. And we uh, cut that out as its own standalone video. If you guys want to go back and give that a, uh, a review. So final question of the night uh, comes from Edward Street Noel, I believe, if that's Saint, I apologize. Sometime in the last year or so, you mentioned briefly on the show that you weren't sure if down the road, this is actually addressed to me, uh, sure down the road if the UF and Florida State game uh, would continue to be played every year. Can you expand on why you feel that way? And does the game being moved Friday this year impact that opinion? Is it maybe another symptom of whatever factors uh, would have led you to question the game's future in the first place. Well, I see that Bud, forever quick on the draw, has actually gone back and found his uh, mic not being on the hot seat and has dropped it into the comments there on YouTube. But to, to answer your question, uh, Edwards, the so a lot of that for me comes from what the SEC is going to do in the future. And the SEC has a real... Uh, the SEC is going to flirt with being as restrictive maybe as possible with some of its out-of-conference games. I don't know if that's the right word exactly, bud. Uh, but the SEC is going to, I think the SEC is, we're going to watch the SEC for the next 10 or 15 years push the envelope as much as possible to kind of just make college football their game and everybody else uh, gets to kind of watch it. And I think part of that is going to be the downsizing of out-of-conference games and that they're going to go to a larger uh, regular season schedule and f- from Florida's perspective, playing Florida state as maybe it's only one or two out of conference games is not going to be particularly appealing to them. So that that's where a lot of my uh, skepticism about the game's future comes from. Now, look, I'm not, t- I'm talking about a five to 10 year window here. I'm not saying that in 18 months, some press release is going to be put out that Florida state and Florida have played each other for the last time. Uh, but I do have a little bit of concern as to the longevity of the series. I mean, if I had told you 15 years ago that Oklahoma and Nebraska would not be an annual game, what do you what do you think you would have said? Would have been hard to conceptualize, certainly. Um, but and you would have wondered. <laughs> you would have had to have wondered what happened in the geography of college football. Yeah, I mean, they played, I'm, I'm looking it up here, they didn't play in 98 or 99. Other than that, I mean, they've played they've played 97 times. That's almost every single year you know, since 1912, right? And yet, only one time in the last 11 years. Things things can change. I don't think that, that rivalry is going anywhere because it's an in-state thing. I think that I think you would probably have like legislators saying like, no, this needs to get played. The state governments would, would get involved and get on their soapbox for it, probably. But who knows? Like anything is certainly possible in the long run. Um, I did talk about this on Cover 3 today for a little bit, and I'll, I'll discuss it here because we've got a couple minutes left, and then we, we're going to go not live for the defense, defensive uh, spring preview. It strikes me that 
all of a sudden, the ACC and some of these other leagues are concerned about player safety and they want a holistic look at the sport, you know, it makes me wonder, like, what, why? Why now? Like, you guys have never really cared about player safety before, but now you're in a, in a rush to take up moves that, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but they're, they're likely to roll back the uh, clock stoppage after a first down rule and clock stopping when you go out of bounds rule. We are probably going to games that have more like 50 or 60 plays than you know, 70, 80, 90 mm-hmm. in the very near future. Like maybe as, maybe as fast as this year. Makes me wonder why. Did they get some kind of concussion data that's really bad you know, for the future of the sport? Why do these big leagues care about it when it's more of an NCAA problem? Unless in tying this in with the NCAA constitution that got passed as part of the transformation committee, right? That I believe Phillips is on and a couple of the, the other major commissioners are on as, as well as some, some minor commissioners. What if they're taking over governance of the sport? Like just the power five, they're going to have the power to do so granted to them with the new NCAA constitution, along with probably you know, granting full baseball scholarships and all other kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I know the SEC is, is pushing for all scholarships and all sports to be full. I don't know if that's going to come to pass, but I, I do think that if you were going to take over governance of the sport of football and take it to a different spot, uh, maybe to a spot where players are employees or there's some kind of pseudo-employee relationship, which I think will happen at some point and it's probably, probably needs to happen if you want to have a salary cap, Right. That's how you get one. You collectively bargain for one with people who have organized. You know, you can't just, well, I guess they have, they have a salary cap now. It's zero and it's unilaterally imposed, which is one of the problems that we have with the sport. But maybe they don't want to take over the liability of all these potential concussion lawsuits hanging out there. Maybe that's, like, I'm trying to read Jim Phillips' words and I initially dismissed him as like, yeah, player safety, come on. You guys are just trying to, to drag your feet and get Notre Dame in. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe they're worried about inheriting these concussion lawsuits and, and not taking proactive steps forward to make the game safer or reduce the total number of hits, things like that. I'm, I'm very interested to watch how some of these rules go going forward, right? Like, are they going to get targeting one and targeting two? Coaches want it. Administrators don't. Why? Is it because it and it, it it is perceived as being l- less about safety? I don't know, man. Just something to chew on in the fifty-six minute of the Nolcast there. Hmm. If you, no, you listen mean, that long. Yeah, you listen that long. Also, I'm not suggesting that you're. I've known you well enough and long enough to know that you know. Uh, normally, when you have an opinion like that, there's there's you know more to it, or that you've you've got some kind of interest uh, in the subject and, and that's kind of a broad one, but uh, you know, certainly an, an interesting way to, uh, to wrap up tonight's an old cast. Um, we've got a couple, just let me look real quickly through YouTube. We'll try to reach out to some of the commentators. If we missed any uh, questions, uh, Casey actually asked me about the ACC networks coverage of wrestling. Yeah. I'm not fond of much of what the ACC network does, but uh, there's some nice little programs in the ACC, and I have used that uh, to watch them. Um, let's see. We had a couple different questions about the wide receiver room, bud. Uh, just saying that there's 
too many numbers in there and curious as to how that whole uh, thing will shake itself out and how much, uh, how many potential departures, in our opinion, you could see after spring from the wide receiver room. Okay, uh, we'll talk about that more in our Monday or Tuesday show, but I would say on the wide receiver room, part of that just goes back to how good do these guys think they are. If you got a bunch of guys in that room who actually think they're good, then you might see a decent number of transfers. If you got guys who realize, like, eh, life and Tallahassee is pretty solid. Relationship with the ladies are pretty good. If you say you play for FSU football, you know, it's a nice place to live, warm weather. I realize I'm not actually that good. I'm probably not going to be able to go play pro ball. You may have fewer transfers. I don't know. I'd probably say the over-under of post-spring transfers at the receiver position is like, what would you say, one? One and a half. I mean, there's one, one name okay. in particular that I'm surprised is still on the roster. We did a show about this two or three months ago that I thought, you know, obviously I think most of the null cast are pretty good, but I thought that one was particularly solid. Uh, yeah. If you can go back and find it where we did kind of a full look over and uh, a lot of those kids have already made their way out. So um, that was a good one. If you have a further interest in some of the possible attrition at each particular position group. So uh, Bud from all our sponsors, uh, again, if you get a chance to vote for us at sports podcast awards, it's greatly appreciated from the two of us. Uh, all our fantastic Patreons uh, that provided a lot of listener questions tonight, patreon.com backslash Nolcast. If you have an interest in further supporting the show, uh, shout out to our good friends at Madison Social and some of the work that they've done recently. Uh, great to be able to support them and uh, just the memorial cocktail that they put together for, for Jason there that they had available. I think they were able to serve like 320 drinks over the weekend uh, as baseball came back into Tallahassee and uh, it's just a just an interesting time to be a Florida State fan and uh, we're ever so fortunate to be able to continue to do this podcast and it's only made possible uh, by the support that we receive from our sponsors and uh, you the listener. So big thank you and we'll be back shortly uh, with our position preview series for spring. Uh, so till then, this has been the Nolcast. Take care y'all. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.